0: All right, let's jump in to Matthew chapter 13. This is part two of a three-part series, Secrets of the Kingdom. And uh, today is Weeds and Seeds, and we're going to be Matthew 13, verses 24 through 43. So you might want to find that in your Bible, page 679 or 979. Um, Ushers have Bibles if anybody wants one. If you need a Bible, just slip up your hand. Kaylin, bring your own Bible. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. Okay. I can say that because she knows I'm kidding her okay in February 2002 an ice storm left many Michigan residents without power Valerie O'Connor's 63 year old grandfather Oki Howard borrowed a neighbor's kerosene heater there's going to be a problem with this story um He borrowed the kerosene heater because he wanted to heat the house warm enough so the pipes wouldn't freeze that all makes sense however what he didn't know someone had accidentally put gasoline in the kerosene heater when he lit the kerosene heater it exploded and the burning fuel went all over him on his hands and on his uh on his chest and on his arms valerie a teenager saw her grandfather engulfed in flames, so she pushed him out of the front door into some snow and rolled on top of him to smother the flames. She suffered burns on her legs. Though he was badly burned, Mr. Howard returned inside and somehow was able to get a fire extinguisher and put out the flames." Valerie rode to the hospital in the ambulance with her grandfather, screaming in pain all the way. Later, Mr. Howard said, I thought I was going to die. He said, it was like hell. If Valerie Connor O'Connor was willing to risk her life for her grandfather, someone that she loved and cared about, To protect him from a fiery death, are you willing to jump in and make a difference in somebody's life? To protect them from a fiery death that is eternal. We want to address that in Matthew chapter 13. Because of Valerie's love for her grandfather, she put her fears aside and she dove into action so that he would be saved. That was Jesus' plan for the church, by the way, is that the church would be involved in rescuing people who faced an eternal death. And our question is, are you willing to put aside some of your fears to help somebody else find a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Maybe like the one you have. So today we're going to begin with the parable of the weeds. Matthew chapter 13 verses 24 through 30. Parable of the weeds. A reminder, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Pretty simple. It's kind of a Sunday school definition of a parable, but it's really a good one. It's an earthly story. It's an everyday story. It's a picture of concrete reality. And when Jesus told stories, he was talking about things that were very common in the first century to his culture, an ancient Near Eastern culture. So um, last week, we talked about the parable of the sower and the seeds, and there were four different uh, kinds of soil. Um, there was the, uh, the, the, the hard-packed soil, representing the callous heart. There was the... Um, Rocky soil that, that was the shallow heart. There was the uh, thorny soil that re- represented the divided heart. And then there was the good soil that represented the receptive heart. And Jesus was just telling a story, and uh, it was like an everyday thing to see a sower out sowing seed, and yet he had a, um, he had a spiritual truth that he wanted to teach. And remember, he's teaching secrets of the kingdom things that have never been revealed before. If you read the entire Old Testament, you will not find any of these things in them. And also, the New Testament hasn't been written yet. We take that for granted because we're, we hold the Bible and we've got all of it. But his audience did not. So he's telling a simple story. He's telling a secret, something not yet revealed. So, um, Also, comparison, if you follow on your outline... The kingdom of heaven is like, verse 24. The kingdom of heaven is like. That's the approach that Jesus takes. He's making a comparison. The kingdom of heaven may be compared, and he's going to tell the story of the weeds. Um, There's a problem that exists in this story that needs resolution. Verses 25 and 26. And it's enemy sabotage. Look at verse 25. But while everyone was sleeping... Let me go back and read 24. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So this comparison of the kingdom of heaven is like this man who sowed good seed in his field. The problem, verse 25, But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. There's no problem here with people sleeping. Some of you might be sleeping, but that's not a problem. Sleeping is not a problem in this story. The problem is the enemy came. And the enemy sowed weeds and was sabotaging the farmer's plan of sowing wheat and growing wheat and getting a crop of wheat. The problem is the enemy. He sowed weeds, and sometimes this is called um, the wheat and the darnel, the parable of the darnel. Darnel is a kind of weed. And in the... um, ancient Near Eastern world, the Darnell seed would would grow and it first would look like the wheat. So when it first came up, it's kind of hard to tell which is which. However, over time, when the seeds began to, uh, like the wheat became visible, um, you could begin to discern, oh, this is not wheat. This is something else. This is a weed. The solution, verse 27 through 30, to this problem Verse 27, the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Is the seed the problem? Uh, Where did the weeds come from? You you did sow good seed, right? Yep, yep, that's a given in the story. Where did the weeds come from? And he replied, the enemy did this. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? Seems logical, seems practically. We got weeds, let's go pull the weeds. You should come to our backyard we have a garden and we have flowers growing up but uh, actually the former owners planted those flowers we didn't plant the flowers but we have as many weeds as we have flowers we didn't plant the weeds they're just all coming up together it's kinda of like this and his servants say do you want us to go and pull them up the solution no he answered because while you were while you are pulling weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So, we don't want to pull them up now. We don't want to mess with them. We want them to grow at the same time. Do you see what's coming? Secret of the kingdom. Something's going to grow at the same time in this kingdom. Well, I'll get right to the interpretation. We're going to jump now to verses 36 through 43. So we're jumping over verses 30 through 35. We're going to come back to them, but let's look at this interpretation. The parables of the weeds interpreted. First, the request, verse 36. Then he, that is Jesus, left the crowd and went into, his, went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. The great thing is, if you were a disciple, Jesus told secrets like this. You could ask Jesus what they meant. You could have a private audience with Jesus and he would tell you what this is all about. The crowd didn't always get those kind of benefits. Um, Jesus left the crowd. Do you remember where we left him last week? He was out in a boat. He was on the Sea of Galilee. He was at Peter and Andrew's house and out on a fishing boat and he was just um, in a little cove and he was focused back at the crowd. Remember, he could speak We know scientifically, a hundred yards in every direction right there, and they could hear him without a sound system. This is where he was teaching the parables. North shore of the Sea of Galilee, the city of Capernaum, we saw that last week on a map. This was Jesus' headquarters for over two years. So now he's going to go back inside the house. Whose house? Well, it's probably Peter's and Andrew, his brother's house. They have the fishing business there. So explain the parable. And so he begins in verse 37, he tells us who the sower is. He answered, the one who sowed the seed, the good seed, is the son of man. sower is the son of man. Well, who's that? Well, the son of man is a term that Jesus most often used about himself. Jesus is saying, the sower is me. And uh, the son of man is a, a term used in the Old Testament, very clearly ties him to the the passages about Messiah, especially Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. When when he called himself the Son of Man, it made people nervous because he was identifying himself with a crucial Old Testament personage. Verse 38, um, the field is the world. And that's what 38 says. The world of people. The field represents uh, humanity. Jesus refers to the world of humanity in John chapter 3. Just let me remind you of that, verse 16. For God so loved the world. That's the world Jesus is talking about. For God so loved the world. We've sang about that love today. Oh, how he loves us. For God so loved... It, I've, I've told my story a lot of times, but when I was growing up and I read this passage, and I thought he loved the world. I, I thought he loved The globe. You know that he was way out there in heaven and there was a little dot back there called earth and he loved that earth. What I didn't know was that he loved me personally. I never got the personal stuff until I was 25 years old. That he knew everything about me. He loved me anyway because I was so embarrassed about my life. And he loved me. He loved me so much that he died on the cross and he paid the penalty for my sins. You, You know that, don't you? He loves you. He died for your sins, and He knows everything about you, and He loves you anyway. He so loved the world, He so loves you, that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's why God sent His Son, is because of His love. The good seed, verse 38, also are the sons of the kingdom. The good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The people or the sons of the kingdom. He's, Jesus is talking about true believers. It's not male, it's male and female. Genuine followers of Christ. In the pe- previous parable, please catch this. In the previous parable, the seed represents the word of God or the message of the gospel of the kingdom. But here the seed represents people, so it's different. The seed represents the, the good seed represents genuine believers in Christ. The weeds, also verse 38, represent the sons of the evil one. These are the people of the evil one. They represent unbelievers, those who have been deceived by the evil one. They have not acknowledged Jesus Christ as Savior. They have not received the message of Jesus as the only way of salvation. They haven't responded to Jesus in faith, personally. You know, and... When I grew up, I learned John 3.16. I thought he died for the world and then uh, I actually stood up before the church I was raised in and I made an intellectual commitment to the Apostles' Creed. Now, do you see a problem with that? The Apostles' Creed is a great statement of faith but my commitment was to the Apostles' Creed. It was an intellectual commitment but it was to the Creed. It wasn't about Jesus. It was about the Creed. A lot of people have faith like that where it's faith in a statement or creed and it's not in a person of jesus christ who died on the cross i didn't even know jesus was alive and i was taught he was alive but i never really got that he was in heaven right now and if i could get to heaven where he is sitting at the right hand of god i could see him face to face and i could touch him if i could get there because he's very real the enemy verse 39 is the devil the enemy who sows them is the devil this is the origin of the people of the evil one. He's Satan. He's the devil. He's a deceiver. He's the enemy. Here's what I want to say. The devil is very real and very powerful. And he's a dark, angelic, invisible being. And he his whole plan is to establish a counterfeit kingdom. He loves religion. Religion of all kinds. And if he can do a little hocus-pocus or a little supernatural stuff thrown in and get people snagged away from the truth, he will do it. And it's easy to see, if you study world religions, how he operates. The harvest, verse 39, is the end of the age. This is a great thing. We have Jesus as the interpreter. He just gives us all the answers. We don't always get that. We'll see that in just a minute. The harvest is the end of the age. It refers to a time of judgment. When the time has run out, it is the end of this age. It's when Jesus is ready to return in all his glory. This is the time of the harvest. Verse 39 is the harvesters, and they are the angels. Their job is to separate the wheat from the weeds. Their job is to separate the sons of the kingdom from the sons of the evil one. Their job is to separate believers from unbelievers. Paul describes Jesus' return at the end of the age in this way, in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. I'm going to start with verse 6, which is not up there. God is just, starts verse 6. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. And He will give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. Here's what I want you to see. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. You see the angels? They're coming with Jesus. They are the harvesters at the end of the age. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Next slide. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might on the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you. It also includes you if you have believed because you believe our testimony to you. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. They will be shut out. Separated from the presence of God forever. This is very real, people. You have friends. You have family members. You have co workers or classmates who do not know Jesus Christ. This isn't like far off, this is really real. It's extremely important to the church. Uh, that's why Jesus is telling this. this is a secret, and he is revealing it to us. This is what is coming um, at the end of the age. Um, the outcome, verse, verse uh, 40 through 43. And as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. So the sons of the evil one and the unbelievers will be burned in fire. So, who do you know that's going to face this judgment? Right now, if Jesus came today, who do you know? So, Jesus is revealing secrets. He's giving us knowledge ahead of time so that we can understand and so that we can take action. Verse 41, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, That's a description of misery. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. There's the test right there at the end of verse 43. He who has ears, let him hear. Remember that from last week? That's the test. Do you hear? Do you get it? Do you understand? Do you have spiritual perception about what this means? That there is a judgment coming and there are going to be people separated for an eternity. One of the terms that Jesus uses here is that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Just in the book of Matthew, Matthew 13, verses 49 through 50, This is how it will be at the end of the age. This is a different parable. It's the same chapter. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into a blazing furnace while there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know how you can get away from some kind of eternal destruction, some kind of uh, painful misery and suffering, some kind of eternal uh, damnation. Jesus called it hell. Hell. Revelation chapter 20 calls it the lake of fire, ultimately. Matthew 22, verse 13. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness. Well, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This was a parable of the wedding feast or the wedding banquet. And it was to the one who came unprepared, did not have wedding attire, did not have on the righteousness of Christ. Matthew 24, verses 50 through 51. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour when he is not aware of. He will cut him into pieces and assign him in a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a common theme for Jesus explaining judgment at the end of the age. This is for the servant who uh, was given much and uh, Jesus expected him to be found faithful when He returned, but Jesus returned unexpectedly, and he was not prepared. Matthew 25, verse 30. And throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be um, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, I hope you see that this is kind of significant for Jesus. And he's the one that we all will face. Verses 31 through 35. Now we come down the home stretch. The parables of the mustard seed and yeast. First, the parable of the mustard seed, verses 31 and 32. And again, we start with a comparison. The kingdom of heaven is like. This is the common theme Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like. He told them a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. So Jesus is looking at similarities between the kingdom of heaven and this Mustard seed. The situation, verses 31 and 32. The kingdom of heaven is like the mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. A lot of information right there in just one little verse in uh, verse uh, 32. The mustard seed was planted in a field. It was the smallest of seeds. Now, here's what I want you to notice here. Jesus was not trying to say, if you take all of the seeds in the world, the mustard seed is the smallest. No, he was saying, first century uh, ancient Israel, to the people in his audience, they didn't know of a smaller seed. This was about planting, and it was just a common thing to talk about. It was even used among the rabbis to talk about something really, really small, a mustard seed. And so that's how Jesus is... So don't... He's not trying to teach a scientific truth here. He's he's teaching a comparison with the kingdom of heaven. It was the smallest of seeds agriculturally in ancient Israel. But when planted, this particular type of mustard seed could grow to 10 to 12 feet tall uh, in one growing season. So large, with this little mustard seed, so large that in the same year... It would be big enough for birds to come and uh, land on the branches and be protected from the sun. That's all he's saying about this mustard seed. Um, so the kingdom of heaven is like this. And um, the idea here is, in the significance of the the kingdom is going to start very small. One person, Jesus. And then he's going to gather around 12 guys. One of them isn't going to hang in there, so he's only going to have 11. And then uh, by Acts chapter 1, he's got 120 praying in the upper room. It's just growing a little bit. Then in Acts 2, there are 3,000. Oh. Then in Acts 4, there are 5,000 men. Oh. It's starting to grow. Um, Do you know that today there are over 2 billion people on earth that are categorized as Christian? And that includes Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, Anglican, Charismatic, Pentecostal, and Evangelicals, over 2 billion. That's the largest religious group on earth. You remember what the other parable was about? The wheat and the weeds grow at the same time. It's not everybody's born again, it's wheat and weeds. They're growing at the same time in the kingdom of heaven. There's going to be no separation until the end of the age. But the kingdom is going to grow. And there are going to be birds come and hang out in the branches. In other words, the, and this is, there's pictures of trees like this in the Old Testament, the idea is the kingdom is going to be so big and it's going to have so much influence, it's going to provide so many benefits for people, like the birds who come and nest in the trees for a little protection. The impact of Christianity on the world and people who benefit from Christianity, not saying they're Christians, just saying they benefit from people professing to be Christians and serving in the name of Christ. Okay? A lot of benefits. You know, hospitals and orphan- orphanages get started. There's all kinds of ministries that go by Christian. And there are benefits of, of people serving. And the wheat and the weeds grow together. And this is how fast and how big this thing can become. The kingdom of heaven on earth. Let me just take a quick side here. Remember, we're talking about a kingdom. And it's this kind of a vague concept. In the Old Testament, God was king. It was a theocracy. There was no other king. That was was the plan. However, God's people wanted a human king, and so God gave them a human king, and his name was Saul. Saul didn't work out, and then they got David, then they got Solomon. God made a promise to David. David, I'm going to give you a son to be on your throne, and he's going to be on your throne forever. Oh, an eternal king. Oh, that's who Jesus is going to be. And Jesus shows up, To establish a kingdom, and uh, his plan is the kingdom is going to be a little bit different than you're expecting. You're thinking somebody's going to come in on a white horse and he's going to kill all your enemies and he's going to make this righteous rule. Well, that's not quite how it's going to work. First, the kingdom is going to take on a mysterious form, it's going to be invisible. God is going to work through the hearts of people between the time Jesus comes and Jesus comes again, Second Advent. And he's going to come in great power and great glory and he is going to lay the law down. You want to see somebody come in on a white horse? Hang around because he will be there in all his glory with the angels. So, it's between now and then. That's what this kingdom is about. It includes us, but we aren't everything. We're just a little bitty part of it. And when you think about that, you think about whether well, it's going to be wheat and there are going to be weeds and they're going to grow up together. Could that be somebody next to you? That's maybe isn't really born again yet. Maybe they think they are. And so it's going to be so important for you that you're clear on your relationship with God, that you've come to faith in Jesus, that you know that your sins are forgiven, that you know you're going to heaven. You can know. Scripture promises that. Okay, let's go on to the last Parable. Verse thirty-three. Compare the kingdom of the comparison is the kingdom of heaven is like. So another parable. It's really short. Verse thirty-three. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about sixty pounds of flour. It seems like a lot of flour. I don't know how much bread that that would make. Somebody here could probably tell me. Until it all worked through the dough. So the common practice of the first century was to save a little dough from yesterday's baking, a little dough that had yeast in it, just a small amount. To save it for the next day. And the next day, you took your flour and you added this little dough that had yeast into it, and you sort of let it wait it and you let it rise. And um, the woman took and mixed it into sixty pounds until it worked all through the dough. That's it. Jesus gives us no interpretation; we're just left to our own. So the yeast would permeate a little bit, a little lump would permeate sixty pounds of flour. This kingdom of heaven will be like that. What's the significance? This information has never been revealed before. This is the secret of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven will start small, it will be inconspicuous, it will be invisible, it will begin to permeate society, and people will be transformed. It will influence culture and society. but it's not, it's not going to be the ultimate reign of the king. The ultimate reign will come when Jesus returns in his glory. There will be no heaven on earth until Jesus returns. So sometimes we expect perfection now. We want heaven now, but it's not going to happen now. But there's going to be this gradual growth and transformation. I'm not saying everything's going to get better and better and better. I'm saying this is how the kingdom grows. The kingdom is growing right now even with evil all around you. And I did a little quick research and I don't have all the numbers but it's amazing how many people are actually coming to faith in Jesus Christ right now. Most of them in other countries, not in the U.S. And one of my biggest surprises was how, how many Muslims are coming to faith every day like 16,000 coming to faith every day. We don't hear about those things. Scripture fulfillment, verses 34 and 35. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowds in parables. He did not say anything in them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Psalm 78, verse 2. Jesus just fulfilled it. 900 years before the birth of Christ, Psalm 78 verse 2 was written and it was about someone speaking in parables and Jesus is saying, it's me. And I'm talking to you about the secrets of the kingdom, things that you did not know before. So here's what we've learned so far. Thanks for hanging in there with me. God is at work establishing his rule on earth From the time of Jesus' first coming until his second coming. The kingdom will be spread by sowing of the seed, the word of God. Parable of the sower. Expect four different responses to the gospel. A callous response, a shallow response, a divided response, a receptive response. Don't stop sowing the word of God. Those things will happen. Don't be alarmed by it. Don't give up by it. Just keep making disciples for Jesus. The kingdom of heaven on earth will include genuine and professing Christians. Their ultimate identification will take place at the end of the age. Don't be surprised. Do make sure that people are genuine. Don't assume everybody's a follower of Christ just because they hang around. Make sure for all of us that we all understand clearly the gospel of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. The kingdom will expand quickly and provide benefits for many around. We've seen that through history. The the disciples had no clue about this. The Old Testament saints did not understand any of this. It's totally new. The kingdom will quietly and invisibly permeate and transform the lives of people. So, what's going to be our takeaway? We have a core value at the bridge. Lost people matter to God. Therefore, they matter to us. God loves people, and we are to love people. For God so loved the world, he so loved you, he sent his son. Listen to uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's still true. The harvest around us, people who need to know Jesus, it's plentiful. But the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I don't think Jesus is done. He wants us to pray, and he wants us to be workers in the harvest. He wants more workers so that because the harvest is so plentiful. So I come back. Who in your world needs a personal relationship with Jesus? Who in your world would you like to invite to Harvest America next Saturday night at 6 p.m.? Um, who in your world do you need to pray for? Pray that uh, God would draw them to himself. Pray that their heart would be hope- open to hear the message. Pray that God would use you to reach out to them and to communicate and to invite and uh, grow a relationship with them. Uh, To pray that God uh, will open their hearts so they can understand who Jesus is and what he's done. Let's pray and let's stand together. As you stand before God this morning, who is God bringing to your mind right now? Somebody in your life that you could at least be praying for. Maybe there's somebody that God has brought to your mind as we've talked this morning that you, you should invite to Saturday night to Harvest America. Maybe there's somebody that God has brought to your mind that you just need to reconnect with and continue to develop that relationship uh, to be uh, and to live as an example for Jesus and to pray for opportunities. To share the good news of what God has done for you. Who in your life is God drawing to your attention? And what steps can you take this week to do something? Maybe you need to send them a text or send them an email, or maybe you need to call somebody on the phone and just open that relationship or reopen that relationship. Because lost people matter it's so easy for us when we know that our sins are forgiven and that we are citizens of heaven and that we have assurance of salvation it's so easy just to relax and it's my prayer that God will use us that God will send us and that he will use us to bring more and more people to come to know Jesus. And so, God, it's my prayer that next Saturday night this room will be full and that we will have invited people and as the gospel is presented that you have prepared hearts and that uh, all over the nation thousands will respond and even in this room many will respond for the first time to the God who loves them. For Jesus' sake I pray, amen.